Welcome to Capital Cashflow, teaching you how to safely invest your capital into cash flowing assets. Here is your host, Abraham Anderson. Welcome to Capital Cashflow, show 17. This is your host, Abraham Anderson. And today we're going to talk about five ways to turn around a mobile home park. By turn around, we are talking about stabilizing a park, increasing its value, increasing the revenue, decreasing expenses. And all of this equates to a higher net operating income, which means a higher value on the park. And if you hear background noise, uh, if you're not listening, watching the YouTube video, I am on a beach or near a beach in Florida in Daytona. So please excuse the noise, but I thought it would be cool to record something on site here. So number one in order here, the easiest and my favorite turnaround of all is raising the rents. And I'm going to talk about practically how to do each one of these things. But the easiest turnaround of all is just finding a park that is mostly stabilized, meaning it's 85%, 90%, even 100% occupied, but mom and pop have not raised the rents sometimes in decades. The park might have been built in the 70s and they've had a $5 rent raise since then. Uh, we had a park we purchased that the market lot rent was over $400 a month, but mom and pop were at $210 a month. And I don't think you can go in there and just double the rents up to the market. You have to stair-step them typically no more than $50 at a time in order for them to absorb that. So this is how that would look like. Let's say you found a deal like that. You buy it. You have to give, and this depends on your state, and, and check definitely, cause sometimes it's longer than this, but in most states you have to give a full 30-day notice before rent goes up. So let's say you close in the middle of July. Well, you have to give them notice, and then the rent raise wouldn't go into effect until September 1st. So typically what we do, and this is a tip for you here, try to close in the middle of the month. That way you get all of the prorations for that entire month of rent. And then you have another two weeks to get the notices and everything out. But what we do is, after we close, we go around door to door, have your manager do it. Uh, if you have one, if not, you can do it yourself. You give everyone a copy of the new lease and also the notice that the rent, what it will be going up to as of, in this case, September 1st. And you'll be surprised, most of them won't give you any pushback. They really know that they've had it really good <laughs> for that long of a period of time. And, and they know typically when a park sells or a property sells that the rents go up. So don't waste this opportunity. Don't disappoint them. <laughs> when you buy it, give out the notice that the rent's going up. And then you just wait for the rent to come in. Uh, you monitor it. Uh, you make sure if they pay late, you hand out late notices. And you just want to get that done, as I said, when you take over to get everything rolling. But that's our absolutely favorite turnaround because it's the cost of a postage stamp if you're going to mail the rent raise, or it's the cost of a piece of paper if you're going to deliver it. So the return, and the great thing about rent raises is it's purely goes to the bottom line. You don't have any additional expenses by raising rent. So if you raise the rent, and just to give you some figures here, let's say you did a $50 rent raise across a 50-unit park. 
50 times 50, that's 2500 a month in increased value, 30000 a year. And assuming that city utilities, and let's use a nine cap here, you've created about a quarter of a million dollars worth of value with just that $50 rent raise. So this is serious money and serious value. And you can double or even triple the value of a park just from doing rent raises over time. So number one, that is by far our favorite uh, tactic for uh, increasing the value of a property. Number two is billing back utilities. And this is an interesting one because it simultaneously cuts an expense out and also adds income. This is not our favorite. I, I would say it's probably second favorite. And the reason being it costs about $300 to submeter. And let, let me just go over that for a minute. When we talk about submetering, we're speaking of typically the water. And with a park a lot of times you'll run into master metered water and what that means is every single tenant is using water off of one line that the property owner is paying for so you get a bill a master bill for all of it and that and there's another one where you really don't get that much pushback about when you submeter because I mean in America today most people are in most places people are paying for their own water bill and also the whole idea of conserving water and resources. It's well known that when you build back, usage goes down by about 30% because once you're paying for your usage, you consume less. So there's a company that we use called Metron. It's Metron Meters. And as I said, it's about $300 when you figure in buying the meters having them installed and then setting up that, that whole process. So what that looks like, similar to the rent raise, you get the meters installed, you give them 30 day notice and then, and the neat thing about Metron is it's read automatically. Every, I believe every 10 minutes uh, you can go online and it shows you and this helps you also to check for leaks. But it's great because typically utilities are the biggest expense and it can add as much as 10% to expenses that you're cutting out when you build back. Now I will caution you that if you have a park that has an unusually high water bill, that doesn't necessarily mean the residents are abusing the water. You could potentially have leaks out there. So I would recommend checking that you don't have leaks before you go and spend all this money submetering because you could do that and save very little if your main line has a huge crack in it. And how you find that out, there's another company called American Leak Detection and they have the sonar equipment that they will go and basically scan the ground and see if there is a water leak. They show you where it's at, they put a flag in it, and then you have your plumber dig it up and fix it. So before you spend all the money to submeter, first check that you're not having a huge leak and that may be a two-step process where you fix the leak and then submeter because you want to fix the main leak and then make sure the tenants are paying for their portion of the water. Number three uh, in turnarounds and increasing the value would be selling off the rental homes. Now it's okay and we've done deals where almost every home is a rental home. We prefer obviously the goal is all tenant-owned homes, everyone pays their own utilities, and that's just paradise. 
but we'll do deals where there's lots of park-owned homes. What you have to do in this scenario is when you're buying the park, you have to make sure you're not paying for the rental homes. Because what mom and pop will try to do is they will say, well, hey, this is the whole income of the park. And they mix the lot rent income, which is real property, real estate income, and the mobile home rent, which is personal property. That's not real income. And what's dangerous about that is if you apply a cap rate to the rental home income, you will pay $50,000 for a, an old single wide that's worth 5000 So you have to separate out the two. And so we will take over parks where there's almost nothing but rental homes so long as we're not paying anything or very little for those homes. Then what you can do is a couple things. If the homes are newer, if they're 90s or newer homes, those might be worth seven, eight, ten thousand dollars a piece. Now whether you can whether your residents have cash to buy those is another thing. There's a couple options you have. You can, if you get your mobile home dealers license, Clayton Homes has a program called the Cash Program where you can sell used homes that don't have to be Clayton to your residents that live in them or people moving into the park. And Clayton will give you the money up front. Let's say it's $10,000. You get $10,000 and then they finance that home to the resident. So that's one way you can do it. Another way is you sell it just all cash for a reduced price, maybe six or $7,000. Third way, and again, check with your an attorney as far as in your state if this is if it's legal or not or how to do it legally you can do a lease option and that is where let's say they put two thousand dollars for the option they're paying seven hundred dollars a month in rent four hundred of that is going towards paying off the home three hundred is the lot rent once that goes on for a certain number of months or years then they own the home and they're just paying lot rent and during that process, the great thing about that, and the wonderful thing about selling off the, the park-owned homes, is you're cutting out all the expenses and all the headaches from the, the park-owned homes. And if you want to know why not to do park-owned homes as a long-term strategy, just listen to uh, the podcast I gave of seven reasons not to do park-owned homes. So once you've got them all sold off, another really neat thing which is kind of unusual. The only benefit I would say to having lots of park on homes on the front end is you can instantly take them up to market rent on the lot rent. And let me paint that out. We had a park we took over. It was about half rental homes and about half already tenant owned. Well, the tenant owned homes, they were paying, I think it was 175. The market was 350. So they're half of what they should be. Now, the rental homes, they were renting for about anywhere from 450 to 550. So what we did is we sold all of the rental homes for cash and we took them down to only paying 350 a month, but all that was lot rent. So they're saving about $100 a month. Now, the people that were only renting their homes, we could only take them up to about 225 or 235. So we're still way under market for those that already own their home. So in that situation, it was a benefit for those park on homes because we didn't pay anything for them, plus we got money back after we sold them off. So that is one benefit from having rental homes, is the ability to reset the lot rent instantly to market. The fourth way to turn around a park, add value, is filling vacant homes. Now this is kind of getting into trickier territory because the homes that you'll find range from ready to rent 
to needing to be torn down and they're essentially a negative value because it costs two grand about to uh, tear down the home. You gotta get a dumpster out there and have someone dismantle it and then get rid of it. So what you must do during diligence before you buy the park, remember an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. You need to know what you're getting into. Go through every single park-owned home, whether or not it's rented or vacant. You need to check the condition of it. Then what you do is you make a list uh, and you rank the homes from you know A, A, B, C, D, F, and A homes are ones that you focus on immediately. As soon as you take over the park, you get those sold. And typically we will not do any rentals for new people coming in. We either will only do cash sales or lease options. We will not do rentals for the reasons we went over in the past. We don't want to do any maintenance mainly and also they don't stay as long. So B homes, they require some light renovation, maybe 500 to 1500. C homes, more renovation. D homes, extensive and F homes are just teardowns. So you instantly want to start selling off the A homes and tearing down the F homes. The problem you may run into is during diligence, if you find just tons of tear down F rated mobile homes, that as I said is a negative value. And what we do is we go back to the seller and say, Mr. Seller, we don't want these homes. They're worthless. They're a negative value to us. So we'd either like you to dispose of them or credit us $2,000 for every one of these homes at closing. And they may balk at it, but what we usually do is back it up with a bid to get rid of them. And they know too. That's why they haven't done it is because how expensive it is. So if you structure it like that and approach them scientifically with bids and show them it's not just you saying this, but it's a verifiable third-party quote typically they're amenable to that so how you sell these homes is a couple ways in our market the number one Avenue is Facebook marketplace second is Craigslist so you want to be posting every single day on both of these mobile home for sale or rent and post the information post photos of the home post the manager's number and make sure they're answering it. That's another key thing in this. But typically then what we'll do is a few times a week we will set up a showing with everyone we can get out there. And we don't schedule them 15 minutes apart. We have them all come at the same time for a few reasons. We have multiple homes so even if there's a multiple people wanting it they can all get one still, a mobile home. And also you don't, you, it creates kind of a sense of urgency and a competition. So it does increase your chance that someone is going to purchase it. And what we also do is for anybody that wants to buy it or move in period, we make them fill out a background application and then we run an eviction check and a criminal history check. And our criteria is no evictions ever and no violent criminal history typically within the past 10 years depending on what the offense is and we make them pay $50 per application. And this really eliminates a lot of tire kickers and people that are going to fail anyway because you don't want to waste your resources and also these checks do cost money. They cost anywhere from $20 to $50 depending on how many checks you have to do on the person. So you want to eliminate the people that are not going to get approved anyway by having an application fee. And you may make $15 or so on an application and that's just the cost that you are incurring by having to process all of these. So it, it works out. 
you run the applications as quick as you can and get back to them and approve them and then get their option, lease option, get their down payment, whatever it is, and get them in the home. You want to do it as quick as possible because typically a lot of this is affordable housing and so for whatever reason they may have come into a few thousand dollars to do this and you want to get them in a home before they spend it on something else or they move into someone else's park. So time is of the essence here. And I remember hearing from, I think it was MH Bay, which is a website that you can list mobile homes for sale on. They said that the highest chance of selling a home is if you return the buyer's call within seven minutes. Otherwise, you're likely not to get that person as a renter. So make sure you're answering the phone and that you're getting these people in homes quickly. The last way, number five, on turning around a park and adding value is filling vacant lots. Now, there are a few ways to do this. One way is depending on your county and your jurisdiction, they may allow RVs temporarily into the park. So what you want to do during diligence is check the zoning and see if that's allowed and get a letter of zoning from the the zoning office that states yes this mobile home and RV park is licensed for X number of lots RV or mobile home and then advertise both advertise lots for rent RV lots for rent all the, the keys about your park advertise homes for sale all of that the different ways you can fill lots are the easiest would be organic move-ins which is where someone else wants to move in your park and we will typically give them either paying the cost to move it which can be five grand but keep in mind every lot that's filled depending on your lot rent is anywhere from 25 to 40 grand in equity that you're creating so we'll happily pay five grand for them to move their home in because then we've got a tenant living in a home already and we've added 25 to 40 grand of value to our property or the other incentive we'll do is give them free lot rent for a certain number of months if they move their home in. The second way would be contact all of your local dealerships, Clayton, Fleetwood, Meadow Homes, whatever it is, contact them and ask them, hey, I've got a park here, you know, I'm trying to fill some lots. Go meet with them in person, ask for the manager. Uh, and this is a, something that Donald Trump said is talk to the boss whenever you can. So don't talk to the salesman, say, hey, who's the manager of the dealership? And then get an appointment with him. And what we've done in the past, depending on how strong the market is or not, we will offer to buy the home that they put out there if it doesn't sell within six months. So how that looks like is Clayton themselves brings out a new home. They set it up in the park. Everything's ready to go. Then they market it but also you and your manager are marketing that home for sale the person buys the home they finance it through Clayton and that's ideal because then you're completely out of the loop you don't pay any money to get that home in there and you've got a lot now Phil that's worth 25 to 40 thousand when whereas when it's vacant it's worth nothing in a negative value because you actually have to mow that lot and maintain it so that's one way to do it another way is buying used homes bringing them in the park, rehabbing them, and then selling them just like one of the previous methods. Now the risk there is you have to keep in mind all of the different costs associated with the used homes. For one thing, remember always five to six grand to move a mobile home. So even if you get this this used home for such a deal, two or three thousand, you're gonna have to spend six thousand to move it. 
And also, the third variable is how much is it going to cost to rehab it? Because typically, if you're buying a used mobile home, it might be in such rough condition, it might only be a couple thousand, but if it needs 7,000 to rehab it, or 5,000, plus you got another 6,000 to move it, you're looking at still 15,000. So keep that in mind and make sure you're not buying these old junker homes that are going to, you're going to be into them for almost as much as you would if you bought a new home. In some situations, you would be better off buying a new home. Another way is what I mentioned earlier, the cash program. In addition to using used homes, you can get new homes at a wholesale price because remember, you're a dealer. So they can sell them to you at the same price that the, the dealer's lots have. They bring that in. You have several months to sell that home and once you do, once again, the tenant, they're paying Clayton directly. They're paying you the lot rent the tenant is. And you're completely out of the loop. The only risk there is if that tenant runs off, you have to make the payment on that home until you sell it to somebody else. However, let's say it's a seven-year note and they got in four years and then ran off. The next person that comes along, they only have three years left of that before it's paid off. So there's a lot at the end of the tunnel and you're not just trapped constantly churning these homes and their default rate is actually fairly low the program's been around uh, for I think it's 12 or 15 years and it's it's a very low default rate from what you may think it would be because they do some pretty extensive screening and they can either have a high credit score or a large down payment and that gets them in and that keeps them you know their incentives aligned not to run off because they've got skin in the game so what does this all equate to well we're in this to maximize our income, decrease our expenses, and to increase the value of our asset, our property. You want to make your park as good as it can be, and the cool thing about it is if you have a fully occupied, 100% occupied park, it costs less to maintain than a park with a bunch of vacancy because, like we talked about earlier, having to cut the grass, having to secure the vacant or abandoned homes, maybe having to keep the utilities on. So your expenses actually go down when the park is fully occupied than when it's not. And the value is tremendous. We've bought parks of 102 space park that's 50% occupied. So we will double the value of that park, more than double it, once we finish raising rents from the people there, selling off the homes and then filling the vacant lots. And the neat thing about it is it's not just on paper where oh hey this park is worth an extra 300 grand because we filled these many lots but you can actually get to that money by refinancing and also once you get a park stabilized like that depending on how big the park is and the value of it you can go to non-recourse debt where if something goes south you're not liable personally for the note and they have longer amortizations longer terms, lower interest rates, and so you really do want to maximize every property you have. It makes it a better asset. Another thing is it can lower the cap rate at what the property is worth. A fully stabilized park is worth more and it has a lower cap rate than a park with lots of vacancy. So that's it for today guys. If you have any questions on any of these specifically, feel free to email me abraham at capitalcashflow.com if you've made it this far, I would ask one thing from you. Please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps out the show. It helps us get on great guests. And uh, I really, I read every review, and I appreciate you guys so much. Uh, on YouTube, please subscribe. And our website is capitalcashflow.com. And until next week, guys, make it happen. 
Thank you for listening to Capital Cashflow. For more resources and information on investing with us, find us on social media or at capitalcashflow.com.